0: I wonder how many of us know people who in times of trouble, they never miss church, they never miss Sunday school, they never miss prayer meeting. Every time the doors are open at church, they are there. And as soon as the trouble is over, they hardly be seen again. I wonder how many of us know people who more readily confess their sins, repent of their sins, more readily surrender, simply because they want God to answer their prayers, and they want to get on God's right side. And as soon as the trouble is over, the repentance rolls just like a cloud. I have seen folks like that through the years of my ministry, and I've seen people who act with their emotions, and as soon as the the emotions are over, it's all over. In fact, I am told about the story of uh, Some of the old-fashioned confession meetings, some of you may remember those and some of you might not. I have been to one or two, where people gather together and they confess really more the symptoms of the sin than the sin itself. And they get caught in that emotionalism of confession. And in one of those meetings, uh, one man got up and he said, I have been smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, I am going to quit. Somebody else got up and he said, oh, I've been drinking too much and I'm going to quit. And then the third man got up and he said, Well, I have been carousing and not living a holy life, and I'm going to quit. Well, the little girl was caught up in all this emotionalism. She got up and stood on her chair so everybody can see her, and she said, I haven't done anything, but I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) quit. That tells you more about what I'm going to talk to you about today than anything else. Because God calls shallow repentance... Temporary repentance, cheap repentance. Unfortunately, we have too much of that. Pastor David Wilkinson said recently, he said, there are too many people today who are having emotional experiences and call it revival. And he goes on to say, I think true revival will come through searing, piercing, and convicting preaching when people truly turn away from sin. There are many people somehow confuse repentance with manipulating God to give them what they want. There are many people who confuse genuine repentance with trying to bribe God to give them their wishes. There are a lot of people who confuse genuine repentance with trying to appease God... In order to give them what they like. But here's the truth. Listen to me carefully please. Here's the truth. From the word of God. Repentance is not only an act. But it is an attitude. Repentance is not just in words. But in deed. Repentance is not just an outward thing. It is an inward action. Repentance is not only a one time experience. It is a lifestyle. Repentance is not mere remorse, but a genuine desire to change. Repentance is not just a regret. A lot of people regret bad things, but it is doing something about the sin. You know, today there are people who think that repentance really means just thanking God that they ain't as bad as their neighbors. Someone said churches today are full of people who have been starched and ironed but too few have been washed. <laughs> there are even some Christians who think that if you get a large gathering of people and they get together and public confession, but then go back to their homes living this half-hearted life for Christ that God must act. But here's the problem in this culture in which we live. Because we have instant coffee and instant breakfast, we think that we can have instant prayers, instant revival, and instant answer to prayers. And when God does not act the way we want Him to act, oh, we give up. We're gone. There are yet other believers who live any which way they live. And then they say with Catherine the Great, they may not verbalize it like she did, the good Lord will pardon That's his trade. We are in the midst of a series of messages from the book of Hosea. And we have seen, first of all, how God revealed his broken heart through the tragedy and the tragic experience of the prophet Hosea, who married a woman who turned out to be unfaithful to him. And God says, Hosea, tell my people, this is how I feel. I feel betrayed when I blessed my people in every way, when I've done all that I've done on their behalf, in the miracles I performed. And look what happened. They're turning their back on me. They're mixing me with Baal. They're worshiping me on Saturday and Baal for the rest of the week. I am a broken-hearted God. I can deal with it, but I want to be merciful. And then we saw how the days of Hosea are so similar to our days, you have to be blind not to see it. For we have certain commonalities between our days and the days of the prophet Hosea. They marginalized God, so are we. They glorified sensuality, so are we. They have practiced religious syncretism, and so do we. And then thirdly, we saw that the same causes that caused the society of Israel to collapse under the Assyrian invasion, the horrible and the miserable things that had taken place. We saw that the same cause, the thing that caused this collapse of society in Israel are the same causes that are working in our society today. Number one, rejection of the knowledge of God. Secondly, we saw that it is lack of direction on the part of so-called the ministers of God. And thirdly, we saw that people of God have lost their passion for God. And today, we see what I call the tragedy of cheap repentance. Please hear me right. And I want you to look with me. Please, if you haven't returned your new Bible, turn to Hosea chapter 6. Beginning at verse 4. Look at verse 4. I'm going to come to the other verses in a minute. Mark those in your Bible. Here's what God is saying. What shall I do with you, Ephraim? What shall I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning cloud. Your repentance is like the dew of the morning that disappears early in the morning. Obviously, Hosea was preaching, prophesying, calling people for repentance. And some people responded to his message. Some people got together and began to repent and turned to God. But you see, the God who sees the hearts, the God who knows everything, he saw that this is temporary repentance. He sees this as cheap repentance. This is not the repentance that is going to change the heart for good and for God. This is not the kind of repentance that is going to produce fruit. And far from being pleased with this type of superficial repentance what God, God is bemoaning is the tragedy of cheap repentance. He's bemoaning the tragedy of temporal devotion. He's bemoaning the tragedy of lip service. He is bemoaning the tragedy of convenient loyalty. God is bemoaning the tragedy of this fleeting repentance that does not create permanent change in the lifestyle. God is troubled with that. He was troubled with that then. He is troubled with that now. And when you look at verses 1, 2, and 3, you can't help but think, oh, read the verses. There must have been a genuine repentance that is taking place. There's a revival in the land. Look at it. People are turning to Him. The nation is turning to God. But not with God's eyes it was not. They may have had the citywide revivals. They may have had the appearance of turning to God. But all of these did not result in permanent change in their heart and in their lifestyle for God. Did not result in ongoing victory over sin. It did not produce the fruit of the Spirit. It did not produce a daily conformity to the image of the living God. In fact, if you look closely at verse 3. It is really a messianic prophecy. You can write that in your Bible if it doesn't have it in the margin. (laughs) It is a messianic prophecy about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ 700 years before it happened. The prophet Hosea was privileged by God to look down to the future and see the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ 700 odd years before it happened. You would ask, why is it tacked in here? Because the prophet Hosea is saying, knowing that even though he lived in the Old Testament, that it is only through the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ will we be able to have the power to repent. It is only through the power of the resurrected Christ can we have a repentance as a lifestyle. It is only through the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ can we live a life of a daily obedience for Him. And we are the ones who are living in those days that Hosea longed for. And yet we work and live and wake and go and come as if Jesus is still dead. How many of us are wondering that we really live with the power of the resurrected Christ? And the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians that that is the very power that is working in you right now. And here's the cry of God's heart. Your love is like the morning cloud. It's like the dew that goes early in the morning. You know, in the Middle East, when you wake up in the spring days, they don't get spring rain. But when you wake up in the spring day, there's a mist. And then there is a dew on the grass. And some mornings, when the sun begins to shine, it is the most exquisite view that you can imagine. It is the most spectacular view. When the early morning... Cloud, the early morning mist, and, and the glittering of the early morning dew. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. It's beyond description. But it is temporal. It is temporal. Morning cloud and early dew are too flighty to produce a harvest. Morning clouds and early dew are too shallow to withstand the heat of the sun. Morning clouds and early dew are too temporary to produce a permanent result. Please hear me right. This is the cry of my heart if there is one to this great country that I love so dearly. I want to tell you that the superficiality of fleeting Christian commitment creates difficulty for God. The half-hearted Christian life creates problems for God. The sometimes spiritual people are a source Of irritation for God. Here's what God is saying. I know how to deal with the atheists. I know how to deal with the agnostics. I know how to judge the out and out sin. I know how to judge rebellion. I know how to deal with that. But God is saying, my problem stems from those who claim to be believers. But their submission to him is only part time. God's problem stems from those who claim to be believers, but their surrender to Him is only on the outer perimeter of their life. God's problems stem from those who are into religion and into rituals, but have no intimate relationship with His Son on a daily basis. God's problems stem from those whose prayers are constant monologue and never wait for God to speak to them. Bring them into conviction in order to deal with their sin. I was thinking about this and I thought of a story a friend of mine told me about uh, how, in the Catholic Church, you know, when they go to confession, often the penance is to do a retreat that is to go away and contemplate. And this man had a nagging sin, a secret sin, and he just couldn't keep it any longer. So he went to confession. <laughs> He said to the priest, he said, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Well, the priest said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I have been stealing building supply from the lumber yard in which I work. And he said, well, um, how much did you steal? The man said, well, um, enough to build a house. And then enough to build a house for my son. And then... (laughs) I took enough to build uh, two houses for my two daughters. And then I took enough to build a cottage on the lake. And the priest said, man, this is a big sin. I have to think of some far-reaching penance for that. And the priest thought for a moment, and then he said to the man, he said, well, have you ever considered doing a retreat? (laughs) And the man said, no, father, I never have. But if you get me the plans, I get the lumber. (laughs) That is not the kind of repentance that God is looking for. Because the cry over his people is this. Your devotion to me, your surrender to me, your commitment to me is like the morning cloud and early dew. You know, I was reading today some statistics by George Banner that the so-called evangelical Christians do not live any differently from their pagan neighbors. That the average Christian spends more time watching television in one evening than reading the Word of God in a whole week. That the average Christian genuinely believes that God is happy if they are happy. I read somewhere again, that four out of ten evangelicals don't even believe in biblical absolutes. Well, after this introduction, I'm going to get into my sermon. And just to make it easier for you, I don't have three points, I only have two. (laughs) I remember a seminarian was asking a professor of preaching, he said, Sir, he said, how many points a sermon should have? He said, at least one. (laughs) And I want to make two points. Two reasons why God's people give God trouble. Why God's people give God trouble. The first reason is this. They rely on their feeling instead on the character of God. And the second reason is this. They have mixed motives instead of a singly unified mindset in serving God. They rely on feelings. I wonder how many of you would know that relying on your feelings in your dealing with God really irritates God. (laughs) Why? Are you telling me that feelings are wrong? No, that's not what I'm saying. Feeling has its place. Feeling has its value. Feeling is absolutely necessary. But feeling is not enough. Feeling is the wind to the sail of a ship. Too little of it. You're not going anywhere. Too much of it creates a shipwreck. If there's too much wind, living too much in your feelings, you're in trouble. And if you have no feelings at all, you're in trouble. For those who rely on their feelings are constantly either crashing down all the time, all the time, and you know some people like that, or they never get off the ground, they do nothing. These people operate only on their feelings are either more down than up or never do anything. In fact, somebody said that those who live by their feelings, their companionship is like a pebble in a shoe. Have you ever had a nail in your shoe? (laughs) And that's what God is saying. I mean, people who are living by their feelings are like a pebble in God's shoe. They're irritating him. Secondly, God has trouble with those who have mixed motives. Mixed motives. It's only a few years ago that I really kind of had a, a jolt when I saw people going into ministry for mixed motives. I really did. I, for some reason, my naivete, I thought that everybody got into the ministry the way I did. Basically, I wanted nothing to do with it. It's <laughs> not perfect English, but you understand what I mean. I mean, I did not want it. I ran away as far as I can. I mean, literally, I went to Tarshish. I mean, I have done everything possible in my life to get away from that call. I want nothing to do with the call to the ministry. And literally, God grabbed me by the scuff of my neck and brought me in here and said, Boy, you're going to preach. I was shocked to discover that mixed motive of people in ministry is very common. Many don't even know what the call is. And that's precisely why we're in the trouble we're in. And then I said, why, why am I shocked? At the word of God, showed me example after example of people who have divided heart in serving God. Gehaziah, who was a servant of Elisha, after Elisha turned and the Syrian's money, he ran after him and lied and got the gold. And leprosy struck him and his family for the rest of their life. Some of you remember Balaam. <laughs> Man, I mean, he knew that it is not the will of God to go out and curse God's people. But then every time the king of the Canaanites kind of increases the amount of money, he would say, well, you know, I better pray about this some more. <laughs> he sees the money, then he goes to pray. And God says, don't do it. He says, more money. He goes back to pray. You know, God had to get an ass to talk for Balaam to wake up. People who have mixed motives, like the boy who told his mother one day at church service, he turned to his mother and said, mother, I'm going to be a preacher. She said, why do you want to do something like this? He said, well, I have to go to church anyway. And I hate sitting still and being quiet. Might as well stand up and holler. <laughs> oh, he might turn out to be a preacher. But you know, there are so many people in our culture they are surrounding us they're everywhere who want to identify with God's people some of the time. There are many people who want to identify with Christ only if it's not going to cost them a change in their lifestyle. There are many people who want to serve God only if it is comfortable. There are many people who want to belong to church as long as it's not challenging them to repent of their sins. There are many people who are so divided in their mind, a double deal all day long, they don't even know who they are. Mixed motives. Mixed motives. Mixed motive is like that lady who lost her purse in a big mall. And a short time later, an honest boy found it, and he returned it to her. And as she opened the purse, she looked through it, and she said, That's funny. I had a ten dollar bill. Now I have 10 $1 bills. And the boy quickly replied, he said, That's right, lady. The last time I found the lady's purse, she did not have change for a reward. Mixed motives. (laughs) Isn't that what we do sometimes? Everything we have comes from God, every blessing. And we give God little crumbs of what He gives us and then pray and call out to God, Give us a whole loaf, God. Give Him the crumbs. Look at verse 6, chapter 6. God said, I desire steadfast love, not a sacrifice knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. Do you know why God is saying this? Listen to me very carefully because people use that as an excuse. Oh, I love God, so I don't have to give anything. No, that is not what it meant here. Listen carefully. God is saying, when I am constantly in a state of obedience to the Lord, He will get my sacrifice, but that way I'll give it with the right motive. God is saying that when I'm in constant state of intimacy and repentance and broken and contrite heart before God, I will give a burnt offering. But this offering will be given for the right reason. Not to appease God. Not to get God off my back. Not to just pacify God. No. Cheap repentance does not please God. Temporary repentance does not honor God. Occasional repentance troubles God. I grew up in the life of bankers. Since I was a little boy, my older brothers were all bankers. And many of them would come late home because they had to balance the books every day. And I often remember that. How many believers balance the book with God every single day? Listen, we pray for our country. We must and we will. We pray for a revival. And we should and we will. But listen to the heart of a pastor who loves you. Until God's people themselves live in a state of repentance. Until God's people come clean with God. Come clean with God with their money. Until God's people come Repentant of self-sufficiency and thoroughly rely on God until God's people give up gossip and backbiting and dishonest dealings, until God's people turn away from bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, until God's people truly submit and surrender their will to His will. Our prayers are going nowhere. They are going nowhere. Scripture says if I incline a sin in my heart, if I rationalize it, if I explain it away, if I hide it, my prayer will not be answered. May God deliver us from cheap repentance. There may be some people today that this message that's designed for believers. is premature for them because they haven't gone to first base yet. They haven't. Turn to the Lord and seek Him as Savior and Lord of their life. They haven't repented of their sin. Now is the moment that you can turn your life over. To repent now and live the life of constant repentance before God. That repentance be your lifestyle. And then to all of us who have known God. And we have grown to take Him for granted. We have grown to take His forgiveness for granted. We have grown to take His mercy and grace for granted. Let this be a word from God for us today to turn repentance into an attitude instead of just an act, to turn it into a lifestyle instead when we just need something from God. God, this is Your Word. I sought Your Spirit in speaking it, and I pray that Your Holy Spirit will use it to touch every single heart that not one single person says, well, this is for so-and-so. I'm sorry he's not here, she's not here. This is for you. Let this Word of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, penetrate deep into your heart and the recesses of your mind, that in all of us it will produce genuine, true, lasting repentance. Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.